Okay, we're gonna be in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter one, but we've got some setup to take care of before we get into what we need to see this morning. Um, I, you know, I knew for focus this year, I wanted to look at the book of Joshua and get principles for spiritual warfare in terms of taking kingdom territory. And what I've come to peace over over the last few days is that, um, I'll go ahead and do that this week, but really we're just gonna keep doing that. So next year, Lord willing, if the Lord tarries, uh, we're gonna do two things moving forward. Very soon after the first of the year, we're gonna get into the book of Genesis. And we're just gonna walk through the book of Genesis together. Um, we're not gonna hide what's there. Uh, we're gonna go there. There is some freaky, deaky stuff in the book of Genesis, okay? Uh, the truth is far stranger than, than fiction. So you will, especially in the first 12 chapters, just prepare to have your brains blown by the book of Genesis. Uh, we're gonna cover some history, we're gonna cover a lot of prophecy, we're gonna cover a lot of science, we're gonna, I mean, we're gonna cover a lot of principles for Christian living, and so it'll be a valuable study. And then um, um, in terms of Joshua, what we wanna do is we wanna just keep a mission focus going throughout 2021, and so we will, every few weeks, we will jump back in the book of Joshua and we'll look at another principle, we'll look at another example of how to conduct proper spiritual warfare, uh, how to take kingdom, uh, uh, how to take kingdom territory in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to 2021. Uh, I'll just say a couple things. We are a blessed church. The worship team, the way they lead us, do not take that for granted, okay? I know you can't tell it, from the live stream, we're working on that. We're gonna learn how to effectively uh, re you know, transmit what happens in this room. You know, it'll never be 100% on the live stream. Um, but if we can get it to 80%, that would be amazing, especially as we have church starts starting around the world. Uh, we need to, need to help get them going. Um, but um, all I can say is, um, the song, When I Think About the Lord, man, praise the Lord, Marcy, get down. I mean, that was amazing. And then, and then Sustainer, um, Rosie, thank you for the song. Uh, it was just so rich. Eric does an incredible job leading our worship team. And, and so for everybody that makes that investment, um, we're, we're richer for it. Okay, we're gonna be looking at principles from Joshua. So to get what we need to get out of Joshua, we need to get started in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12, there is a principle, there's a principle for us there in terms of the battle for God's kingdom. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 is talking about John the Baptist. You're going out to see John the Baptist. He's freaking you out, he's amazing you. And he says, what did you go out to see? Some soft clothes wearing, soft talking, you know, did you, come to see, uh, did you come to see somebody sophisticated and refined? Did you come to see a prophet? And then listen to what the Lord says. I say unto you more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before my face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then we get this incredible principle in describing if you'll receive the Messiah, that's what's really happening in the book of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is giving the terms of his kingdom as the promised Messiah, as the king of the Jews, he's laying out the constitution for the kingdom. And we know, obviously, that those terms and that king are rejected by the religious rulers. And this makes for a big problem. Israel ends up crucifying her Messiah. But look at Matthew 11 and verse 12. And I want you to see this principle. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, 
the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So if you'll receive it, if you'll believe the promises, if you'll believe the prophecies, then John the Baptist is the prophesied Elijah. He is the precursor to the advent of this kingdom of heaven, a Jewish people dwelling in the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, ruling over the earth from a throne in Jerusalem. If you'll receive it, John's Elijah. But they didn't receive it, did they? And here's where we see this great principle in play. Jesus offers the terms of God's promised kingdom of heaven, this literal physical kingdom where Jewish people are living in a literal land, a a land grant promised to their fathers. They reject Christ's terms. They reject Christ as Messiah. The religious rulers rebel, great violence did ensue, and they crucified their Messiah. Christ was crucified. Israel's Messiah was violently rejected. Now that was a physical conflict that took place. I mean, there was a spiritual battle in play, but it manifested with physical violence. Christ was crucified. But we all know now, 2,000 years later, we see it. Jesus is a spiritual judo master. You can take everything you have and throw it at Jesus and he will take your momentum and he'll turn it right back on you. And in Colossians chapter two and verses 10 through 15, we see that, that what was meant for Christ's destruction, God used it for the ultimate victory. This is what opens the door to a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of, he- the kingdom of, he- of, of God. Uh, Christ triumphed by taking in that conflict He took the sins of the entire world. He was reckoned our sin. He bore in his body our sins to the cross of Calvary and suffered God's wrath over our wickedness. And all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that his death, his burial, his resurrection were sufficient to deal with our sin problem, put us back in relationship with our creator, with God as our father. We are now reckoned the righteousness of Christ through his sacrifice, how amazing is that? So he won the spiritual battle. So what culminates from rejecting the kingdom of heaven's king is an opening into the kingdom of God, not just for any Israelite, but for the nations, for anyone who will believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the spiritual kingdom is now made available. The spiritual kingdom is now accessible to everyone, the Gentile nations. A relationship with God is now possible. So Christ took that attack and triumphed in it. Now we have a way back to God. There is a way back to Eden. You know, Adam and Eve and Eden, daily, they're walking in the garden, man. They've got a relationship with God, and that was cut off through their sin. Well, now we're back. God is our Father. Christ is our Lord and Savior. The image of God that was lost through the original sin. That's now being restored. Romans 8, 28 through 29 says that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. God's taken everything that happens in our life and he's working it all together for our good so that we can be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing what God did. So this was a spiritual victory that now enables the building of a spiritual kingdom Okay, in Matthew chapter 11, the drama is around a physical kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Will the Jews receive her Messiah? Will the nation of Israel receive her Messiah? They rejected him, but that opens up the door to a spiritual kingdom, and guess what? There is also a battle for this spiritual kingdom, but it is spiritual. Romans 14 verse 17 says that the kingdom of God, it's not physical, it's not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Is everybody with me so far? So we're talking about you know, the kingdom of, of God. There are two aspects to it. You know, there's the physical kingdom. This is the nation of Israel dwelling in the land. The kingdom of heaven is fulfilled. Its, its potential is maximized when Christ is sitting on the throne, ruling the nations from a literal physical throne from Jerusalem. 
It's called the day of the Lord, the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. That day's coming very soon, by the way. All global events are lining up just as the Bible predicted that they would. Um, we are living in some of the times, some of the most amazing times where Bible prophecy is just is taking shape in the, in the headlines of our news, you know. So there's a physical component, but there's a spiritual component. The kingdom of God is all about our relationship with God, and it's a battle, okay? This is why this kingdom of God that must be built is why the gospels in the way that they do. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus, after his rejection, he's on his way to the cross of Calvary, and he calls out what's taking place. He said, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God, he's talking to the religious rulers, okay? So we're dealing with the nation of Israel nationally. He says, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. So in rejecting the physical king, right, the promised Messiah, in rejecting their Messiah, the kingdom of heaven, it's not fulfilled. Israel as a nation, they also lose access to the intended relationship that they were to have with their creator. So the kingdom of God in their life is taken away. And the book of Romans talks about this very plainly in chapter 11. Because of Israel's rejection of Jesus as Messiah, the natural branch is cut off from the root of Messiah this root of the Lord Jesus Christ, and an unnatural branch is grafted in. That is the church age, the times of the Gentiles. Once they're fulfilled, the church is removed. The unnatural branch is taken, right? Christ comes for his church, and then the natural branch is grafted back in. It's restored to the root, and you read about that in Romans chapter 11. The other thing that you see in Romans 11 is when Christ does come back for the millennial day, the day of the Lord, all of Israel will be saved, okay? She will receive her Messiah when he comes the second time. Is everybody with me so far? Okay, so this nation that's gonna get the kingdom of God, what nation is that? So you wanna get this down in your notes. Who is the nation? Well, Israel, we see there in Matthew 21, Israel is a nation, but so is the church. You know, we're all members of the United States of America. Well, we're actually a multi uh, uh, we're a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multinational church. We've got people at Midtown Baptist Temple from all over the world. But, um, you know, the reality is, is um, for those of us that are part of this church, we have a nationality. There's a physical country that we're members of, we're citizens of, but we all have dual citizenship. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Uh, we, like Abraham, are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God himself. Uh, physically, we're here for this time, for right now, but eternally, we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ, physically, okay? So we have dual citizenship. But the church is called a nation, and we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. This is written to believers. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. Do you see that? You are part of a holy nation, a peculiar people. And what is your job? Nation of Christ. Nation, citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God. What is your job? Your peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, how do we do that? Okay, so, you know, let's look at the Great Commission. In Luke 24, we see the work that we're to do laid out. How do we show light out of darkness? Well, here's how. Luke 24, 45, Jesus opens the disciples' understanding that they might understand the scriptures. In verse 46, the Bible says, and he said, and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem and you're witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. 
And so the promise is, is the church, this nation of Christ, these believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, would receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and then they would lay down their lives, showing forth the light of God's word in the darkness of a lost world. So the fact that we're engaging for a spiritual kingdom doesn't change the fact that it's a spiritual battle that rages on. And just like the religious rulers 2,000 years ago rejected Christ as Messiah, tried to take the kingdom by force, that now stands as a principle, a spiritual principle that's very much in play today. Um, There is a spiritual battle and the only way we take uh, territory for the kingdom of God is it's gotta be taken by force. So let's talk about just a few things that we need to know if we're gonna take kingdom of God territory. How do we take kingdom territory by force? Well, first of all, you need to understand that Satan himself is the God of this world. That's your next set of blanks. Satan is the God of this world. And we know this from scripture, in Matthew chapter four, Satan takes Jesus up into a high mountain, shows him the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the world, and says, you can have it all, I won't contest it if you'll just fall down and worship me. And you know the story, you know, Jesus rebuked him from scripture, and the devil leaved him. But he made a valid offer. I won't, Satan as the God of this world had a claim to the nations of the world. And what he's saying is, is I'll give up that claim if you'll just give me worship. That's the spirit of antichrist within him. He wants to stand in the place of God as God, showing himself he is God, and what better way in his mind to do that than for Jesus himself to give him some worship. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three, shows both the mission and the reality of the spiritual warfare. Verse three says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Why can't they see the truth of the gospel? Verse four, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And then how do we shine that gospel light? For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so this is why the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 24, when he gave the church the commission, right? This nation, her, her task, we are to shine, right? We're to be witnesses. We're to shine out the light of Christ. The problem is the light is shining in the darkness, John 1, 5, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. It comprehendeth it not. John 3.19 tells you the citizens of that darkness, right? the citizens of this world's system of which its God is the devil. The reason they don't come to the light, John 3.19, it says the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. If they come to the light, that means they'll have to submit to its truth and I kind of like it in the dark, standing in the place of God, showing myself I'm in charge. I love how I'm rolling. Acts 26, 18 says, again, we're trusting the Lord to engage, to do battle, to take a kingdom by force. Acts 26, 18 tells us what has to happen to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan Yesterday, right right now, they're under the power of Satan. Something needs to happen to turn them from his power, to turn them from darkness to light, to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. They need to join our nation. So how do we rob Satan's kingdom and populate the kingdom of God? Well, if we're gonna take kingdom territory, if we're gonna win souls, it's only done by battle. It's spiritual warfare. Somebody has gotta go pick a fight. Somebody has gotta go and engage the enemy. And so here's what has to happen. If they're in Satan's grip, man, there's nothing you can do about that except pray. Satan must be bound if we're gonna steal his citizens. Did you get that? 
Here's the principle, Mark 3.27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his good, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his goods. He's a strong man because he can take you. So what you gotta do is you gotta tie him up, and then you can take what you want. That's how Robin, I mean, if you wanna be a robber, that's how you do it, okay? You gotta tie up the strong man, and then you take what you want. Well, that's why we pray, okay? Satan... He is the head of the celestial host. Don't you know angels are greater in power and might? You can't take on a celestial being. You're not gonna bind Satan, but we can put in a, we can put in a, a work order, right? We can put in a request. Hey, I'm praying for my neighbor who is lost and I'm, and I'm building a relationship with them and I'm, I'm showing them the unconditional love of Christ, but they're blind. They can't see the truth of the gospel and so, Lord, we're agreeing together, we're praying that Satan would be bound. Don't let some lying spirit get away with keeping them in darkness. Lord, we're praying that the adversary would be bound from their life, from their heart, from their mind. And then, Lord, we're praying that you would open a door of utterance so that we can, so that we can shine the light of the gospel into their hearts and minds in the power of your Holy Spirit. This is why 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 tell us we're to make all kinds of prayers for all kinds of men because God's will is that all of them would be saved. Nobody gets saved but what God's people pray for them to receive the gospel. We have to pray. We already know God's word. We know God's mind, God's heart on the matter. Anybody that you know that's lost, God wants them to be saved. The problem is the reason they won't get saved is because they're in a kingdom of darkness. And they can't see the truth. They can't understand the truth. The preaching of the gospel is foolishness to them. So they don't receive it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The strong man has to be bound. And then their eyes have to be opened so that they can take in light. And then we need that open door of utterance so we can preach the gospel to them, not at them. You guys know what I'm talking about? You try to share the gospel with someone and you're just, all your, you're, wasting your time, you're wasting your time, you're wasting their time, you're talking at them, trying to get the gospel to penetrate their heart. And you can't get anywhere. It's because the door hasn't been opened. We need to pray for open doors, for boldness and wisdom to say what needs to be said the way it needs to be said in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Satan must be bound, we must pray because the whole world lies lost in darkness. So if you don't get anything else, get this. If we're gonna engage, if we're gonna engage in spiritual warfare, if we're gonna build the kingdom of God, it's gonna take warfare to win them, to win souls for Christ, to take kingdom of God territory. We gotta engage. And remember, here's the principle. The violent take kingdoms by force. I don't know about you, but I wanna fight. I wanna engage in some holy violence. I wanna engage in some holy warfare and see people who are lost in sin, blind to the light, in the grip of Satan, I wanna see them set free. Well, I'm not just gonna go pick a fight with Satan, but I know somebody a lot bigger and a lot tougher than him that can bind him, and I know somebody that's willing that the lost would see, that the blind would see, that the lost would be saved that they'd be found in the kingdom of God. So somebody has to engage because Midtown, Kansas City, is not gonna win itself to Christ. Somebody has got to get up and blow the trumpet, the gospel trumpet, persist and pray till the walls come down and the Rahab families in Kansas City join our camp. You see, how, you see where we're going with Joshua? We got somebody has to engage and it's like, well, this just looks stupid. We just keep going around the city, blowing our horn. Yeah, but they're listening. Okay, so this week I wanna start to this morning, but then also I'll have one slot in the, um, uh, the focus conference. And we wanna talk about from the book of Joshua what it takes to multiply ministry, to take kingdom territory. So this just launches our 2021 mission focus, uh, kingdom battle principles from Joshua. And so, so we'll do that this week, but obviously Joshua's a big book, we can't, get all of the battle insights in, in one week, so I, I gave up. We'll just keep coming back to it all year. Does that sound good? So like three or four weeks in Genesis, a week or two in Joshua, and we'll just ping pong back and forth. I think it'll, 
I think it'll work. Okay. And if that confuses everybody, we'll, we'll change tack, but I, I, think, I think everybody will track with me. All right. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. So the first thing we see before we engage in the battle, we get this incredible picture of Moses versus Joshua. And the picture here that we're gonna see is a picture of the law, the lawgiver versus grace, the grace giver. Now, when you study the character of Moses in your Bible, you find out he is a very clear type of Christ. The name Moses itself means to draw out because he was drawn out of the River Nile, but he was also used of God to draw his people, Israel, out of the bondage of Egypt, which is a picture, a type of how Christ drew us out of the bondage of sin. Okay, that is just the 50,000 foot overview of that study. Uh, so there's the picture in Moses from, you know, from, from sin to salvation, right? To, drawn to salvation out of sin. But what we're seeing here in Joshua chapter one, verse two, Moses is dead, Joshua must arise. Okay, so this is the function of the law versus the function of the savior. The lawgiver versus the savior. The law came by Moses, and yet Moses, the lawgiver, could not bring God's people into the promised land. Why? Well, don't miss the picture. In Romans 3, we find out the function of the law is to shut every mouth, right? Whenever you see the law, the law turns to you and says, shut your mouth. That all the world may become guilty before God. And here it is, Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no, no flesh be justified in his sight. You cannot enter into the promises of God, right, into the, into the grace of God through the power, the ability of your flesh to please God. Can't be done. No flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. In Romans 8, you find out that in verses one through five, all you were ever gonna get by trying to follow God in the flesh is condemnation. Okay, that's all there ever is in the flesh is condemnation. This is why people who have a sin problem, they focus on, I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna do that, and they exercise their willpower and they say, I'm gonna keep my flesh accountable and I'm not gonna do this thing that I know is displeasing to the Lord. And then they will spend perhaps their whole life fighting that battle when the invitation of scripture is, hey, live your Christian life the way you came into it, by God's grace through faith in his word. So instead of being focused on what you're gonna do or not do in the power, the ability of your flesh to keep the law of God, what you need to receive is the grace of God through believing on the promises of God. And so instead of spending all your time on what you're not gonna do, spend all your time on what you are gonna do. Do you see the difference? Why don't you get focused on your relationship with the person of God through the word of God and grow in the grace of God because you believe in the, per, in the, in the word of God. Does that make sense? This is why Paul tells the church at Galatia, oh foolish Galatians, who hath, who hath bewitched you? You started well, you got saved by grace through faith, but now you think it's through the works of the law that you're gonna please God? <laughs> no, I mean, that's why Christ had to come. <laughs> Because if the law showed us anything, okay, so here it is, verse three, Romans eight, verse three, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. We didn't achieve it, we didn't obtain it, it was fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Galatians 3 says it this way, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We needed the, the, the law of Moses to show us our need for Joshua, Jesus, our savior. The law was our schoolmaster to show us we needed Jesus, that we might be justified by faith, not by works. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. 
So what the, what the law cannot accomplish, Moses could not bring God's people into the fullness of God's promises, into the promised land. Jesus saves. Joshua, only Joshua could take God's people into the fulfillment of God's promises. It's Jesus that delivered us from the condemnation of the, wall, of the law, from the wilderness, from our wandering in the wilderness of sin into the fullness of his promises. Only Joshua, that's what the name Joshua means, Jesus is the, is the New Testament or the Greek equivalent of that Old Testament name Joshua. It just means Jehovah saves. That's what the name means. God is our salvation. So Joshua, the, Moses is dead. Joshua has to arise and then look at the promise, verse two. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. The name of the Jordan River, the name Jordan means descending, that's your next blank. And that's exactly what it does. It goes from this, this lake, okay? It's called the Sea of Galilee in, in the northern part of Israel. And it goes all the way down, it descends to the lowest place on the earth. It's so low, it's actually in the earth. It's called the Dead Sea. So it goes from this Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Life, to this place of death. It transverses from the Galilee to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is so low that you can fly an airplane over the Dead Sea and still be flying below sea level. It's the, only, it's the only place on earth where you can do that. You can fly below sea level. Normally when you're flying below sea level it's because your plane has crashed in the ocean and you're drowning, okay? It's not really flying, it's more like dying. And that's the picture, right? The Jordan River, that picture of crossing over the descending to the sea of death, the Dead Sea, that's a picture of passing over death and into the promised kingdom. That's your next two blanks. When you read Joshua chapter three, none of God's people can cross over the Jordan River by themselves. I don't care if you've been training for a triathlon for the last 10 years of your life, you are not swimming across the Jordan River at flood stage during this time. She came out of all of our banks and where they crossed over, that was a big divide, that was a big crossing. So what would happen is, is if you tried to cross over at flood stage, you would be swept down to Was anybody paying attention? Seth, where would you end up? Dead Sea. You'd be swept to your death. So no, Joshua has to lead them across, right? The Savior has to lead them across. This picture, this type of Christ has to lead them across death to victory. Jesus has led us across a great descending death into life. That's why even, you know, the, the greatest place to illustrate that Psalm is Psalms 23. For the believer that has Joshua, has Jesus in their life, they can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whistle a happy tune. I mean, you get, if the Lord tarries and enough time passes, my heart will stop beating. Uh, what do they say um, on a long enough timeline, everybody's chances of survival drops to zero. I think you've heard that statement before. In other words, turn to your neighbor and just tell them, break the bad news, you're gonna die. It's gonna happen. <laughs> like, eventually, you're gonna cross over Jordan. That's what's gonna happen. But I'm gonna walk through that valley of the shadow of death, not fearing any evil, because Jesus, my Joshua, is with me. Do you see how that works? Okay, so in that victory, okay, we're a nation engaging in a spiritual battle. How do we do it? Well, we didn't, we're not walking in the power of the law, in the power of our flesh or our ability to please God. No, it's in the power of Christ's victory, in Christ's power. So whenever you see Matthew 28, you see the Great Commission from the Gospel of Matthew, we're going in Christ's power. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says it this way, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory. In Ephesians 1, verse three, we find out we're blessed with 
all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus tells the church to engage, to take kingdom territory, he comes to them, Matthew 28, verse 18, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, go in that victory, in that power, and what do we do? Shine the light of the gospel. We go teaching all nations. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that respond, we go in Christ's victory and Christ's power, baptizing them. And those who function as disciples, we go in Christ's power and Christ's victory, teaching them as disciples of Christ. So that's the promise. We're promised we can be victorious in this spiritual battle. So let's start looking at the principles. So from verse three through the rest of the book of Joshua, we ought to get insight into what it takes to win kingdom territory. Verse three, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. So the first spiritual principle is is you actually just gotta engage. You must go, go is your next blank. And the problem today is too many of God's people are going nowhere. We got too many people who call themselves Christians, citizens of Christ's kingdom, the kingdom of God. They're citizens of the nation of the church but they're not engaged in the spiritual battle. And the best they can muster is to attend a church service every once in a while. Many people, I would dare say many even here today, are regular attenders, but they're not members. You're not a member. You've never engaged with us in a spiritual battle to win souls and make disciples and train people to multiply ministry around the world. You're an attender, you're not a member. You're not joined to a local church. You're not getting actively equipped. You you set on Sunday, you'll set in a prayer service, you'll set in a Bible study, and you'll passively listen, but you're not getting it down into your own heart and life. You're not knowing it for yourself. You're nodding your head, but you're not getting equipped. You're not getting plugged into the work of the Lord. For some, maybe it's because you're just too lazy to do the work. For others, It's because there are other priorities in your life. See, if ministry's gonna multiply, if kingdom territory is gonna get taken, that means some people have to go and get to work. Boston isn't gonna win itself to Christ. Vietnam will not win itself to Christ. Dallas, Texas, Denver, Colorado, these these cities are not gonna win themselves to Christ. Somebody has to go and with their feet, shed in the preparation of the gospel of peace. These beautiful feet are gonna have to go, they're gonna have to walk those places. Kansas City's not gonna wind itself to Christ and people are gonna have to go and engage in the battle. On uh, mbtkc.org, on our church website, if you go to the mission page, you'll see uh, uh, an explanation of our missions strategy, just in a very big overview, very brief form. But there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a growing body of information about our two by two missions strategy, our missions effort. Um, if you have questions about that, uh, you can talk to Pastor Best. Is Pastor Best in this service? I don't, he's not, he's not here. Is anybody from the missions team in this service? Okay, Pastor Fife, you can talk to Pastor Fife. Really, any of the pastors can help you with that. Uh, does everybody know who Pastor Fife is? Not, can you take off your mask for a second and just stand up and do a, like a slow 360? So just kind of model that face, let everybody see who you are. Yeah, yeah. That's a good looking pastor right there. Okay, so. Get trained, get equipped, save some cash, save some vacation time, and go with us to Boston or to Vietnam. Go with us to Dallas or Denver. Go with us to Wyoming. Just go with us um, and let's put these feet to work and let's engage in the battle for souls. Help us make disciples. Uh, Some of you, you can't go, but you could help send somebody else, you know? Some of you, you can't go, but you could help us train somebody else to go It's gonna take every member engaging to equip the saints for the work. So you gotta go, you gotta get to work. Otherwise, we're not gonna take kingdom territory. But look at verse four. You also must believe, okay? We gotta gotta get hold of the promises. You gotta believe. This starts with being engaged in the right battle. Now, let me just give you a little history. We're gonna throw a map up on the 
on the slide. We tried this, and I tried to doodle this in the last service. I didn't even bring my tablet. I've just given up. Um, it's just, the technology is demonic. We practice before everything works, and then we go into service, and it just, the demonic app uh, quits. Okay, so, uh, just very quickly, um, you'll see where the, you see where all the Mount Hor, Mount Hermon, Mount Tabor, Mount Olive is. Okay, so this strip here from Mount Tabor, right by the Sea of Galilee, all the way down to Sodom at the Dead Sea, okay, that is where, from that sea, that Jordan River, over to the Great Sea, or the Mediterranean Sea, that's where the nation of Israel is sequestered today. Okay, but read verse four. What is God giving to his chosen people? From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. This is the land promised to the nation of Israel. And Tad, I don't know if you're gonna draw it or not, but, um, but uh, starting over here at Babylon, okay, this is the river Euphrates, and if you follow that all the way up north, okay, uh, he's, he's tracing it more carefully in this service than he did in the last one. That's some good art right there, Tad. Okay, just keep, keep going up, keep following, not, nope, 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 there you go. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, it's, it's not to Haran, it, it comes around and up this other way. There we go, that's it right there. Okay, just keep going on up, follow it on up. Up. Okay, now we're getting up into the area of the headwaters of the Euphrates. Okay, to the west of the Euphrates, that's the land of the Hittites. Today we call that nation, the nation of what? Turkey, Turkey. That's the land of the Hittites. And then, obviously, so we'll, draw, we'll, we'll cover the Hittites and then down, and however much of that that takes, it may be the whole landmass. I don't really know. Man, you're getting really detailed. Okay, so you come down, um, yeah, you're gonna compass about, um, even down um, into Saudi Arabia, down by Mount Sinai, and then you're gonna come back over here. <laughs> oh, back over to Babylon. Yeah, that, okay, something, that is not exact, but that's a rough approximation. So you see where the nation of Israel is today. I mean, we're really talking about Israelistine. I mean, it's a big, massive land grant that's given to the, to the nation of Israel. It's like a big pyramid uh, in shape. Okay, so you ought to just file that in the back of your mind as you watch the news today. But here's the, here's the spiritual principle I want you to get from verse four. God's people have to go where he sends them. You don't just go where you wanna go, you go where you're told to go. Does that make sense? We have to go where we're sent, not where we want. See, too many of the citizens of heaven, the citizens of the church, they're not fighting the good fight, 1 Timothy 6, 12. They're fighting for self. And they're taking territory that they can't hold because they're laying up for themselves treasure here on earth. And to live in this earth, you're gonna have to have some treasure on earth, but we're not in this life to see what we can amass. We got too many Christians who are more worried about getting a house on the lake with the, with, the, with the boat and the two jet skis and whatever you have to have with the big barbecue and everything you have to have to have your perfect weekend uh, on the lake or, or, or wherever, you know, your, your condo in Puerto Rico. You, you know, so it's all about achieving that and Jesus told you that that's the thing that moth is gonna ruin and rust is gonna canker, right? The moth and the rust are gonna destroy it and then the thieves are gonna steal it, right? In other words, that's, that, those are riches that you can't hold on to. Now again, there's nothing wrong with a house on the lake or a condo in Puerto Rico, but if that's what your life is given, to trying to amass, to try to build for yourself, if that's the idea of the kingdom that you're building, you're not gonna hang on to that, okay? What we wanna do is lay up treasure in heaven where the moth and the rust can't destroy it and the thieves can't steal it. We wanna see the kingdom of God expanded. We wanna see that territory taken because that cannot be lost. Once we take territory for the kingdom of God, it's eternal. Um, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. 
we want to get to the judgment seat of Christ. And again, you know, have a place on the lake on the weekend. Take a vacation from time to time. That's good for you. But if that gets in the way of the battle that God's called you to, mm, wrong battle. Verse five, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Okay, so there it is, there's the promise. We can engage and know that we're gonna win, but we're gonna have to stand. In Ephesians six, we're told to stand in the armor that God gives us. In Ephesians six, 10 through 12, we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We're to put on the whole armor of God. We need to put on the promises of God's word so that we can stand against the wiles, against the lies of the devil. And verse 12 tells you you're in a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So whoever it is in this church that you got your nose bent out, join over, they're not your enemy, okay? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The person you work with who's treating you like trash because they know you're a follower, that is not your enemy. Uh, they're doing that because they're blind and they're in the kingdom of the wicked one. Somebody's gonna have to get brokenhearted for them and fast and pray for their soul, right? So we gotta put on God's truth so we don't fall for Satan's lies. And then we gotta stand in God's promises. And here it is, verse five. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee, for I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. However God has you taken kingdom territory, you're gonna have to depend on the Lord to take it. Nobody but God can empower you to do what God has called you to do. But once you get that, once you get that you and God are enough for any battle, you are a force to be reckoned with. I remember in the early days of starting MBT and um, some of the battles that we had to engage in in those early days, um, I remember thinking, I would be tempted to think, am I wasting my life? And the thing that was so horrifying about that to me is, is I'm not just wasting my life by coming to a hard place to do something that, that everyone sounds like they're saying it's not gonna work. I had people from my church telling me that the only way I was gonna reach people in Kansas City was if I gave away cigarettes and pizza. Well, we've given away a lot of pizza over the last 15 years, but I am pleased to report we have not had a single cigarette given out in the cigarette outreach ministry. We didn't have to do that. Um, people would say nothing ever works here. The, the gentleman that sold us the building said good luck. Nothing ever works at 40th and Walnut. Uh, this is Satan's seat. I remember thinking, if I'm wasting my time, it's, it's bad enough that I'd waste my life, but the team that's trying to help plant this church, am I wasting their life you know, on something that's too hard, too much? What about my wife and my kids? And I'd be tempted to think, man, you're just playing at ministry, and I never listened to those temptations. I never listened to those voices. I never listened to those doubts. Why? Well, because I had promises. God works. The word of God works. I don't need cigarettes and pizza to win territory for the kingdom of God. I need a book and I need faith in it and I need to stand on the promises of God. God's either gonna show up or the whole thing's a lie. God's gonna show up or I can't even trust in the fact of my salvation. God either keeps his promises or there's no truth to any of it. Is this making sense? I mean, at some point you have to know whom you have believed it and be persuaded that he's able to keep that, right? I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta stand in the promises of God's word. Romans 8.31 says, what shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us, right? Who can be against us? Verse 37 says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So at some point, you have to come to the place where you say, I, God's enough. You know, I can't be for Pastor Morgan what he needs me to be in order for him to be successful in the ministry that God's called him to. Now, I can encourage him. I can build him up in his faith. I can't, I'm Seth's dad. Seth Miles, I can't be for him what he needs me to be in order 
for him to be successful in the life of ministry that God's called him to. Guess what? As your pastor, I am not your solution. I'm just a little cog in the overall work that God's designed to supply you, to equip you. But at the end of the day, it's you and Jesus. At the end of the day, you're either standing on the word of Christ or you're adrift. (laughs) You're playing at it. Be strong, verse six, and of a good courage. Okay, that phrase, that command shows up four times in this chapter. Why? Because we need to be reminded of it. Psalm 28, verse seven says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth. Deuteronomy 31, verse six says, be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So be strong and of a good courage, because God's promising victory. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only, here it is again, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest, watch this now, that thou mayest be fruitful, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. You have to believe the promises of God because otherwise fear kills faith. If you're not convinced in the promises, well then fear will get the best of you and it'll undermine your faith, it will undermine your ability to actually engage in the mission. If I got afraid that nothing ever worked, if I got afraid that I was wasting my time, if I got afraid that, that nothing was ever gonna come of doing gospel ministry from 40th and Walnut, and then I tuck my tail and I go back into the business world so I can make some money and uh, make sure that you know, my kids get a you know, Trans Am for their first car or something like that. Do they still make Trans Ams? They don't, Camaro. So they make Camaros, right? Bumblebee's a Camaro now, right? I don't know, man, I'm, out, I'm so out of touch. Yeah, the Camaro, that's a cool car. Yeah, make sure my, you know, Seth gets his driver's license, he needs to be driving a Camaro. Not. No, it's, it's not how it works. Can you imagine? What a waste of time and energy and effort. What a waste of focus. What a waste of a family. What a waste of lives. Now again, I drive a Camaro. Praise the Lord. That's not the goal. The goal is taking kingdom territory. Is this making sense? That's the goal. Be strong and of a good courage. Uh, courage. Otherwise, fear is going to kill your faith. And the, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ calls it wickedness. In Matthew 25, you know the story, there's a steward, a servant, that's supposed to multiply his Lord's investment while he's away. He's afraid he's gonna mess up, so he takes, he takes the, the money that's to be invested and he hides it, he buries it. And when his Lord comes back, he is mad. He said, I was afraid, I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. You didn't lose what you gave me. His Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant, you were afraid, that's wicked. You were also lazy. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Fear kills faith and God says that's wicked. So our faith, right, if it's founded on God's word, well that will make you bold as a lion. You may be a mouse, but you can face, you can face lions. Our faith has to be founded though on the word of God, not on what we think is right or how we feel we should go. Again, verse seven, be strong. Be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do. Don't say I agree, no, do it. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest be fruitful, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Uh, if this isn't in your notes, you need to get it down. Obeying the Bible, obeying the word of God, that's not wimp work. It takes a strong, courageous people to obey the Bible. It takes courage to submit to the gospel call. You have to be strong and courageous because there are chicken and sloth exits everywhere. You know, there's a, game, there's a, there's a big ride 
uh, in some gaming park, some, some adventure park, and you're gonna get on this big roller coaster, and as you're going th- you know, through the line to get your seat, you'll see these exits out of the queue, and they'll call them, um, it may not be PC to do this anymore, it's been a minute since I've been in an amusement park, but they used to be called chicken exits. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? So the chicken exits here, Seth wanted the chicken exit a lot growing up. <laughs> we had to make him ride some of those rides. Okay, so, so you can take the chicken exit. Uh, there's not just chicken, chicken exits, there's sloth exits too. Some people, they just think it's too much work. You know, starting an evangelistic Bible study takes a willingness to work and engage with people. It's messy getting involved in the lives of lost people. Lost people, they don't know how to live Christ. They don't know how to live saved. And now, you're, you know, their, their life's going to be a mess. And now your life is entwined with their life. Man, that, that's going to take work. It takes risk. But it's also a rich blessing. Whenever you can see a heart taken for the kingdom of God, that is incalculable riches. Again, in verses seven through eight, the command over and over, verses six through eight really is be strong, be full of courage. See, strength and courage will study the word of God so it can obey the call of God. It stays on track, it bears fruit so that you can, I mean, the, the way the text reads is uh, that whithersoever, right? That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Uh, there's territory I want you to take. I want you to be fruitful in that. The only way you're gonna do that is by knowing the book. So strength and, stu- strength and courage studies the word of God. It obeys the word of God. It's fruitful in the call of God. In verse eight, it speaks truth. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. So how do we do that? Well, what you learn, that you speak, right? The word of God that you're applying to your heart and life, that's gotta come out of your mouth so that other people can apply it to their heart and life. It's through the preaching of the gospel, Romans 1.16. That's the power of God unto salvation. That's what translates people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So you do it by speaking, but you do it also by living it. James 1 verse 22 says, be doers of the word. Right? The book of the law doesn't depart out of your mouth. You study it, meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. That's how you end up fruitful in the mission. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know you can come to this church every single week and be completely self-deceived. And you can nod your head at what you're hearing and you can bray amen at all the right points and still waste your life. Be not just hearers only, but what God, the living God is saying, be doers. I got a kingdom I want you to take for my glory, God says. I want to use you to build my kingdom. Don't just nod your head at the truth. Engage. Be doers. Verse 9, have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Fear kills faith. But the person who believes on and then submits to the promises of God's word, they take I mean, their way is prosperous. They have good success. Uh, they're, uh, what was it, verse seven? They prosper whithersoever they go. Why, because God's with them in taking a kingdom. Is this making sense, brothers and sisters? I'd like us to bow our heads and humble our hearts before the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, if we have anybody from the worship team here, uh, let's dismiss and worship. Okay, thanks, Rosie. And here is the invitation. I'm gonna pray for you, but um, I wanna encourage anybody that would say, Pastor, I want to, I want to engage. I don't wanna just be a hearer, I wanna be a doer. So I need God's blessing on my life. I need God's blessing over my life. I wanna get serious about learning the word of God for myself. I wanna get ser- serious about living out the word of God in my life. 
uh, I wanna invite you to come forward and our pastors and leaders will pray God's blessing over your life, okay? Uh, so for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever done something like this. But the call is this, would you be willing to submit to this call to be a part of MBT, building the kingdom of God? To engage in learning the word of God for yourself, to engage in knowing the Bible so that you can use it to help people. Use, use the Bible, the word of God in the lives of people. Some of you may be thinking, but I, I don't feel called to be a pastor. Well, that's okay. You're still called as a citizen of the nation of the church to minister. God wants to use you to take this book and change the lives of people. And if you, if you stick around long enough, we will absolutely over and over again prove it from scripture. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, but Lord, I pray for some strength and courage from those that know today marks a change for them. Where they're done living in the wilderness of sin and they're gonna live just as the gospel declares, crossing over Jordan, standing in your promises, taking kingdom territory. They're gonna be involved in not building their life anymore, but Lord, they're gonna give their life into helping see souls saved and disciples made and people equipped so that ministry can multiply around the world. Uh, Lord, there are some that need to submit their lives to being a part of building your kingdom as a member of a local church. And so God, I ask for your grace to do that. I ask for your grace for them to submit to that. I ask for your grace for them to believe that Lord, help us to be strong and of a good courage. I ask now in Jesus' name, amen.